turn with me please to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and follow with me as I read verses 1 to 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 6. If we were to put a title to this, we would call this the pathway to victory in spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 6 please. I, Paul, myself entreat you By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Truly the great weapon that you have blessed us with the spirit living within to be able to use to attack the enemy's strongholds, false thinking, ideologies, philosophies that just are throughout the world. But God, thank you that we fight, as as Barb said, not for victory, from a position of victory, that we already, as Paul writes in Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are victors because of Christ, who is the victorious one. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just if I can lay the background before we look at a couple of the points here in um, this great passage. Paul, in this passage, we really see Paul waging war as a soldier. He's, he's fighting a battle, and he's coming as God's soldier, fighting in a great battle. The Apostle Paul, what did he fight for? He fought for the truth of God. He fought for the honor of Jesus Christ, fought for the redemption of sinners, and he fought for the sanctification of the believers. That's what consumed Paul. All of that defined Paul and what he's after. He didn't fight for, he didn't fight for personal achievement. He's not fighting for, for personal gain. He's not fighting for personal benefit or some um, greater advancement in his well-being. Paul is consumed with fighting a battle for Jesus Christ. And I say all of that because Paul fought a battle in the city of Corinth. Paul was involved in a battle in Corinth. He had founded the church. And if you read the first and second Corinthians, you'll get a feel for what's happening. As he was being attacked by false teachers, and they are starting to question Paul's integrity. In fact, we see that in some of these verses. They're trying to scandalize his good name, because if they could scandalize his good name, what happens? Then they'll be more accepted by the people, and Paul will have been knocked down, and they will be able to raise himself up and step in, in his place, spreading their satanic lies. So sadly, these false teachers had impacted the church and so Paul had written a fiery letter to them. Paul had responded to them. Paul had, had confronted them. This church that had engaged in mutiny against Paul, Paul confronted this situation. The, the church had repented. In fact, when Paul writes his second letter, Titus has returned from Corinth, and he gives a report of what's happening back in, back in Corinth that 
They, the people have respent, repented and the restoration of the relationship is restored with, with um, Paul. So the church as a whole believed in his integrity. They repented um, of their sin and they were accepting his apostolic authority. We would call them the repentant majority. And yet there's a group of people, they're the, the unrepentant or the rebellious minority that Paul is confronting in his letter to 2 Corinthians. It was these people that, that he's preparing to do battle with. This group of small group of people that just are raising their, their venomous, poisonous stream flowing. And when Paul aggressively confronted the church, they just almost in a sense dropped underground, just waiting for the moment for their poisonous um, venom just to be able to come back up to the surface. But Paul confronts them in this passage. In fact, if we were to say chapters 1 to 9, he's really addressing in the first nine chapters is the repentant majority. He talks to them and he lovingly encourages and exhorts them and, and teaches them further truth, just embracing them. But the tone changes in chapters 10 through 13, the four, last four chapters. And he's really addressing the rebels, the rebellious minority. And he's telling them that I'm coming after you, that I'm going to, to be coming at you. In fact, he says, I'm going to do battle with you. He's firm, direct, and may I say, even in this passage, we'll see a little bit of sarcastic with them. You're challenging my authority. Get prepared because I'm coming. I'm coming to do battle with you. So I want us to look in this passage. As I already said, probably this passage that I read is the most well-known passage or the best passage that defines our spiritual warfare. Whereas Ephesians 6 is the passage that's well-known that describes our spiritual armor. And in a sense, it becomes our, our, our warfare or our, our weapons. Um, so if I were to say this is my goal that I'm looking to accomplish tonight, is to look at effectiveness of, of, of an effect, characteristics of an effective soldier. What are they? What makes a soldier effective? What does he attack? But here's really why um, I wanted you here tonight, besides we want you every Sunday night, and why I sent out the, the email or the text message, is I want this to really become an apologetic for what we want to do February through December. Um, we're going to get back to what we began um, more than a year ago, teaching church doctrine. Um, doctrine isn't just stuffy stuff that, you know, we couldn't come up with anything better to teach you, so we thought we'd just go through some of the major Bible doctrines. We want to equip you, as Paul writes to Timothy. It's our desire to equip you to be the soldiers um, as we're engaged in battle. Um, so I want to give an apologetic to why that is needed, why doctrine is needed, why a, a serious study of the Word of God is needed. So first, let's look in verse 1. We're just going to be real brief in verses 1 and 2. Um, an effective soldier must be compassionate. And Paul is compassionate. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. Best soldiers see warfare only as the last resort. The soldier that drops into enemy territory and smiling over what he's about to do, and he's got an itchy finger, can't, he's not a good soldier. The best soldier is a compassionate soldier. They don't take pleasure in hurting other people. It's not like they're in the training, can't wait to get just to shoot people up. That's a sick soldier. But the best soldiers are a compassionate soldier. And we can look at the history of America. Sure, we, we have a lot of blemishes. But I think back to the summer of 1945. The war is waging on. Japan, I mean, Germany has surrendered. Back, I think it was in April 
But with Japan, the war's waging on and on, and we're just tired of fighting these battles island to island, and now we have the island of Japan. And I think we fully understood to invade Japan would have been a nightmare. It would have been suicide, because they would have fought us to the, to the last person. Um, so we came up with this um, atomic bomb. And I want to read your letter that in 1945, these leaflets were dropped from B-29s flying over Japan um, on separate occasions prior to Hiroshima. But this letter that I'm happy to read to you is, is after Hiroshima before um, the next big one that was to be dropped. America asks that you take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of one of the most destructive explosives ever devised by man. A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. This awful fact is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you that it is grimly accurate. We have just begun to use this weapon against your homeland. If you still have any doubt, make inquiry as to what happened to Hiroshima when just one atomic bomb fell on that city. Before using this bomb to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, we ask you that you now petition the emperor to end the war. Our president has outlined for you the 13 consequences of an honorable surrender. We urge you that you accept these consequences and begin the work of building a new, better, and peace-loving Japan. You should take steps now to cease a military resistance. Otherwise, we shall resolutely employ this bomb and all other superior weapons to promptly and forcefully end the war. But really, that's, that's a letter of compassion. Begging, please, talk to the emperor. Stop it. We don't want to drop the next bomb. Just surrender and let's move on to build a better Japan. And that's kind of what, what Paul is saying when he comes here, writes this letter in, this, in chapter 10. Paul's critics were saying, when he's face to face in Corinth, he is so bold. But when he's away, I mean, when he's face to face with us, he's humble, he's gentle. But when he's away, he's real bold. He gets in our face and, and he's powerful with his words. But when we see him, he's, he's cowardly, he's wimpy, he's weak in his talk. Paul is really saying, if I had my choice, I don't want to be bold when I come. He says, I, I want to be wimpy. I want to be humble. I want to be like Christ. Christ is gentle. Christ is meek. So I am begging you. I am entreating you. I am asking you to surrender. I'm asking you to stop this false teaching. I'm asking you to do this. Paul's pleading with them. Not because he's, he's wimpy. Not because he's not courageous, but because Christ is everything that he wants to be. That Christ is gentle. Christ is meek. And Paul desires to be with him. He wants to use the big weapons that he's about to unload. He wants to use them as a last resort. And then we step into verse 2. Just setting the background because we want to really address verses 3 to 5. Paul says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. An effective soldier must be courageous. And Paul says here, I, I, I beg you that I would rather not get there and be bold. I would rather not come and be like you, you accuse me of not being. I would rather not have to come with my guns blazing. But he's warning them. But I'm going to tell you, if you want, I'm going to take you out to the woodshed. 
I'm going to spank you because I'm going, to, I'm going to come with weapons that are going to blow your socks off. I'm going to come with my guns blazing. I'm going to come to, to defeat you and crush you and your false teaching. So he's warning them. He's saying, I would rather not do that. It's interesting also in verse 2. Do you see that Paul says, you, you accuse me of walking according to the flesh? They're accusing Paul of being carnal. They're accusing Paul of being immoral. They're accusing Paul of being corrupt, of doing things on personal gain. They're accusing Paul of, and they're challenging his integrity. He's not the man who you think he is. They're trying to, they're attacking his character. And Paul's saying, I'm going to come, I'm going to prove my character to you. So as that is the background, let's really step into verses 3 to 5 and looking at an effective soldier must be competent. And that's what our whole desire is, is that this doctrinal series that we want to work through, it's because we want to help us all to become competent, to be better soldiers for Jesus Christ. So Paul writes in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, do you see what he's, what he's doing there? They just accused him of being fleshly. They just accused him, but he's switching it. He's not talking on an immoral term. He switches to the level of being physical. So he says, though we walk according to the flesh, you're, you're, you're accusing us of that. But I want to tell you, though we walk in the flesh, yeah, I'm human. I, I'm just a human individual. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm, I'm human. Though we walk in this stuff according to the flesh. You see, he's saying, I have great compassion, and I'm courageous, but I'm competent. If you had a soldier that was courageous and great compassion, would they be a good soldier? They may be a dead soldier. Like this little dog could be the most courageous dog. He could have the greatest, greatest heart when he's with his master. But it doesn't matter anything if he's not able to defeat this Rottweiler. This Rottweiler is about to put his mouth on him. I don't know that, but it could sna snap him in half. So really, without courage, I mean, without competency, it doesn't matter anything. Am I right? You could have all the courage in the world. You could stand in front of the, the great enemy, but unless you're competent, you will be destroyed. You'll be like that little dog, whatever that is. So Paul is saying, I am coming to you. I'm warning you that I'm coming, but, but I'm competent. And he's about to explain his competency as to what he has. He says, for we walk according to the flesh. I'm not walking as a fleshly person. I'm not walking in the flesh. I'm walking in the, fl I'm walking, um, in the flesh. I am a human. Um, this word, by the way, war, is stratuo. You hear it? Stratuo, from which we get strategy. Uh, maybe the game Stratego is built. Stratuo, um, strategy. Paul says, we wage a war. We walk in the flesh but I'm not waging war according to the flesh. I'm not fighting. I'm not in this battle that's fighting with, with human weapons. You see, if he was fighting a battle according to the flesh, he would, he would have human weapons. He would have weapons that man has. But he says, I'm coming to Corinth, but I'm not coming with human weapons. We're not waging war according to the flesh. Do we get it that we are in a war? Do we think of those terms? Do we think and slow down and say, you know, 
I'm in a war here. I'm in a spiritual war. You know, we prayed at prayer time for, for neighbors. Do we understand our neighbors are deeply entrenched in Satan's strongholds? And that we have powerful weapons on our side, and those weapons we have to bring to destroy their strongholds and their thinking, whatever it may be, that's anti-biblical. But our weapons aren't according to the flesh. We're in a great spiritual battle. We're in a battle. What are we fighting? Or for what are we fighting? What are some things for which we're fighting? I think these four might sum it up. I might miss some. We're fighting for the truth. We're fighting for the salvation of sinners. We're fighting for the sanctification of saints. And we're fighting for the honor of God. Fighting for truth, the honor of God, salvation of sinners, sanctification of saints. Paul is engaged in that kind of battle. And he's coming to Corinth because that consumes him. They have ridiculed the truth. They have attacked the truth. And he's coming to defend the truth. And he wants the saints to grow, to be sanctified. And his prayer is that these false teachers will repent. That people will come to know Christ as their Savior. So Paul is consumed in this spiritual battle. But he's not going to fight it according to the flesh. And we'll, we'll get to what the flesh might look like in a moment. But Paul says that we are fighting this battle according to to a greater, higher level, not according to the flesh. You know, the reality of it is we fail so many times in life. And here's, you hear me on this? We fail, or should I say we sin, because we fight battles according to the, finish the sentence. To the what? According to the flesh. We fight battles according to the flesh. It's when my kingdom has been threatened that I then will raise up and challenge or, or I'll get in the face of someone or I don't like something that, that, that's happened or when um, I'm, I'm pursuing temporal goals, I'm not looking for the big picture, that I'm going to get bothered by things. Even pastor talking this morning about finances, it's going to be hard to loan out something that's precious to me, um, a car I think pastor referred to, when, when it consumes me, when this is my kingdom. But but we're in a spiritual battle every day and we're fighting against selfishness. Let's look at verses four and five and drive home. What is the enemy's target? In this whole battle in which we find ourselves, and Paul says, I'm coming, I'm coming to fight you. I'm, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm courageous, I'm competent. I'm not walking according to the flesh. I'm, I'm in the flesh, but I'm not going to do battle according to the flesh. Look at, look at his weaponry. Look at the enemy's target, first of all. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. So Paul, first talking about the weapons of our warfare, um, they're not of the flesh. Back in verse 4, um, they're, they're not something fleshly. It's not something that is, is weak. It's not something that we're going to just depend on ourselves. Maybe we should outline, what are some fleshly weapons? Um, how about human reason? Human reason that, that leaves God out of the picture. When I come up with my, my rational thinking, I reason it out, and I haven't wrestled through what the Word of God says, but I take action or I choose things or a course of, of living, and I've forgotten God. That's... That's weapons of this warfare or of this world, um, fleshly weapons or human wisdom. Maybe I'm going to go 
argue with somebody because they've done something wrong, but I'm just approaching it humanly speaking, human wisdom, because it just makes logical sense. Um, a P.S. Um, this, my, my grandson had said something yesterday. Um, actually, um, I was... Catherine, my, my, my one granddaughter, was, was reading a story to me, and she whipped the phone around, and, and uh, Josiah, I guess, saw Josiah, and he got upset because I thought he was hiding from me, didn't want to talk to me, but it was more than that. It was because the phone stuck in his face. But I was ready to just say, what, buddy, what are you hiding from me? I said, no, I don't need to confront that. I really spent the day in prayer thinking through that. I was going to call him today and just... And then I said to Joanna, I said, no, you know what, I'm not going to even talk about it. We're just going to go on with life and just enjoy him. And, she's, and then she gave me the fuller picture. Oh, by the way, Dad, what it really was, I'm glad you didn't say anything, was because he was upset that she stuck the phone right in his face. But the point is, is that little victory for me? Is j- just pray through it. I don't have to be my normal, aggressive, compulsive, get out emotional self. God, let me just slow down and give it to you. How do I address matters? You know, the, the war that I'm engaged in, how Satan wants to just tear things apart and whether it's the wrong expression, um, just give it to him and, and pray through and think through things. Um, but human wisdom. Um, I was involved with a, with a church on Long Island I, I, and I wish I could look back and say I would have started differently. Um, that church had sold their Christian school building. It used to be Huntington Christian School. Some of you ever heard of that on Long Island? They sold their school building for over $750,000. Um, they paid $300,000 off of debt. And so I arrived as a new pastor on the block. Um, they're sitting on a chunk of money. And, um, you know, and so the, the, the mentality was the trustees, are, we got to save it for the rainy day. And that day went into months, went into years, and we have this great bank account. And I'm starting to see what's, what's happening, that we're really just relying on the money. And the giving was so pitiful, but it didn't matter because it was in the days of great interest rates and what we were able to get. That just wasn't the way to do life. So slowly changing that picture of what it looked like, fixing up the building and blessing our missionaries and doing more missions. Um, but it was a uh, human wisdom would say, hey, I need to keep $350,000, even though we're a church just of 100 people, I need to keep all of that money for the rainy day. Uh, but, you know, the rainy day came. It was called spiritual battle, the kingdom of God fighting and what we could have done more. Well, that's human wisdom. Or human wisdom would say, you know, we need to be more entertainment oriented. And that's where churches in America are going. Uh, not that we were against um, contemporary music. Not that we're against um, changing and having more of an instrumental or a band, um, but it becomes the focus in so many churches. It's where you might have a half hour, 40 minutes of, of music, and let's just throw 15 minutes of preaching. Um, or it might be just darkening. You know, not that I'm against dark, you know, if it, it matches and have a dark ceiling. But let's just let's have strobe lights. And, you know, I've been to, Saturday, I went to one on Long Island, this church growth. I thought it was a church growth seminar. It turned out to be really a marketing I don't know that they opened the Bible at all. It was a disgusting meeting to have wasted my time to go to. But it's just Madison Avenue marketing. It's, it's this kind of approach. If we take these, these um, ideas, like this is my Nerf gun. Imagine if I was to take this Nerf gun and I was to do battle. 
Maybe I'm drafted in the, in the military, and I go out, and I say, I got my weapon. I'm ready to take on the enemy, and I'm step on some battleground, and here they have all of their weaponry that they're coming with, and I have my Nerf gun. I'm ready to blast them with. Well, that's not going to do a whole lot of good, is it? Because it's just some little toy that um, you play with. I'm going to just, they're going to just smile. In fact, I might hear in Arabic, make my day. <laughs> You know, but it's, it's not anything that's going to be very profitable in the warfare in which we're engaged. And that's human, human wisdom, human techniques, human methodology, human approach, fleshly living to respond to things out there. That's like Nerf gun battle, whereas Paul's talking about bringing something far greater than nuclear weapons. Paul's talking about this divine power. And that's what he says in verse, verse 4. But, I've, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, you know, we're not, we're not fighting with these fleshly stuff that you use human wisdom, human philosophies, all of this different, different nonsense. We're, we're coming with divine power. The weapons that are from God. You have your little Nerf guns, he says, but I'm coming with these big blasters that will just demolish you, these weapons that are from God. And what is he fighting for? He's fighting for truth. He's fighting for the honor of God, honor of Jesus Christ, salvation of sinners, and sanctification of saints. Paul's consumed in that battle for truth, for righteousness, for prayer, for the word of God. He says he's destroying, coming to destroy strongholds. To the New Testament reader, stronghold, strongholds would have clicked with them. They would have understood. In fact, to Corinth, they would have gotten it because to the south of Corinth, I believe it's to the south, is the Acropolis. And the Acropolis here is a high mountain, and they could retreat if their city was attacked. They could climb up high, and it would easily be defended. In fact, Masada in Israel was such a fortress, and to the northern part of Israel, it's escaping me right now, not Hazor, um, but it was another um, fortress city that they had that was highly um, defensible. You build high and you could defend down. So Paul's saying we are destroying. That word is to demolish. He uses it a couple times in verses 4 and 5. We're going to demolish these strongholds, these strongholds that you have built, these strongholds. We're going to take them down. Well, what is the strongholds that he's describing? He now gets into what I really all wanted to get to this point in verse 5. He says, the strongholds that they have built are arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This word destroy is used in verse 4 and verse 5. He says, we are coming to demolish, to destroy these strongholds. Um, The word um, arguments really means calculations or reasonings or opinions, or ideas of the, of the self-centered man. It's all of the, the fleshliness, the self-centeredness that they have created, that they have constructed. And we're going to drive it home a little bit more exactly in a, in a couple minutes here. Um, but these arguments are, are man-made, that anti-biblical, that leave God out. Paul says, I am coming to attack these arguments. And the word and um, can mean even in the Greek. Um, Kai, it's a connector. And maybe it's saying this. We destroy arguments, even every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So this, this opinion is everything that's raised against God. So what is our spiritual warfare? It's every opinion that's raised against God. It's any unbiblical thought on any unbiblical thinking, unbiblical, do I say questionable truth, that 
is raised and exalted against the knowledge of God. Anything that is contrary to the word of God, that is every opinion that we are attacking. You know, Paul is saying spiritual warfare, it's, it's a battle, ready? It's a battle for the minds of people. That's really what we're engaged in. And that's what we are, as Christians are engaged in. As we're starting our parenting class. That's what we're engaged in as, as parents. We're battling for the minds of our children. Yeah, for the hearts of our children. But Paul is talking, we're, we're attacking every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. These forts that are raised are really, are really forts of pride. When men usurps themselves, their authority over God, their thinking over God, their rationalistic philosophies and ideologies over God's way of doing things. And Paul says we're coming to attack these fortresses that are established. There was a poem written a while ago, Invictus. And it says, out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is the world. They take joy. I, I, I'm the cap- I don't need God. Or they may say, well, I, I believe there's a God, and I'm trying to work my way to that God. All spiritual warfare, you hear me on this? All spiritual warfare is aimed at smashing the fortresses of human reasoning against God. Now, there may be different levels that one is equipped to be able to go deeper, but we all are called to be defenders, to be able to smash the enemy's strongholds, to engage them in conversation, not to take, well, the rule that silence is golden, but to be forthright and approach them and engage them. Sometimes it's religious. Um, Sometimes it's Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Hinduism. Um, Sometimes it's non-religious, naturalistic. God only exists in a person's mind, so they think. Sometimes it's human evolutionary thinking. But for us to be strong in our opposition, being able to use the word of God to confront them. Paul says, I'm coming. Um, I'm coming, and when I face these systems of wrong thinking, I am going to smash them. I'm going to destroy these strongholds. Yeah, I'm being bold to you when I'm away, but when I'm in your presence, I'm going to be bold because I'm fighting for truth. I'm fighting for the honor of God. I'm fighting for salvation of sinners and for the sanctification of saints. And Paul says, I'm coming with the big weapons, divine power to crush that. Let me just say in application we the children of God, are there fortresses that we have to destroy in our minds and our own thinking? Are there opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God that we also have to fight? What might we call that? All opinions that are raised contrary to God's word and contrary to God, they are called what? May I call them pride? It's pride. It's what, what I think. It's what I want. There are opinions that we have to defeat. We're not even, we're going to get in a moment into what might be out there. But right here, personally, as we apply God, as I live this every day, may I be engaged in this battle and fight this battle because I belong to you. I want to fight anything that raises itself to push me higher than you, God. I want to defeat pride in my life. And it may look like this when someone's upset with their spouse. Maybe their spouse didn't do what they wanted or give them what they felt they needed or, or whatever the story might be. 
So what follows? Ungodly actions or choices or anger. See, that's just raising lofty opinions above God's word. Well, I'm all that matters. I don't care what God's word says about being submissive or loving my wife. I don't care. I'm all that matters right now. Or maybe at Christmas time, we just spent too much money or you spent too much money um, on Christmas presents and got so many bills and now you're starting to wrestle with them and credit card bills are piled up and you say, oh man, I just I can't give as much to the church. God, you know, like pastor was, I was thinking of this, this joke that I heard a long time ago with his sermon this morning. This farmer had two pigs and he told this one man, I'm giving this, he told the pastor, this is, this is God's pig and this is, this is my pig. They were, they both look alike. And uh, months down the road, um, the pastor came to visit him and he told the pastor, I have bad news. God's pig died this morning. <laughs> it's always God's pig, but you know, we, we, uh, we're going to take care of ourselves. But you know that, that everything belongs to God. God, I'm not going to spend so much that I have to give less to you. God, I'm going to continue to invest in your kingdom financially, but far more than that. Um, I remember this, this one lady, and I'll not, not mention her name. In fact, she's probably in glory now. But when she told me this, she was 60 years old, and she was a faithful saint working in our church in, on Long Island. And she came to me after I'd been there a couple years. So I'm in my early 30s. And she said, Pastor, I've done more. I've done my share. I'm no longer working in the nursery. God was very gracious that day because I didn't say what I really wanted to say to her. What I wanted to scream to her, when have we ever done our share? When have we ever done enough? And it's never enough. We've never done our share. Um, but this dear lady um, retired, um, retired from serving God. Um, may we never be that way. You know, we, may we never say that I don't know how to witness, so I don't. Well, you know what God would say? I, I, I believe learn how to. Open your mouth and speak and share the word with people. Don't have these lofty opinions that, that raise ourselves above what God would want us to do. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's the objective of our warfare is to change how people think. We want to change how people think. Yeah, we're after their hearts. We want, to, we want to take every thought that makes them no longer captives of Satan's ideology and we want to, by the grace of God, see them liberated, see them set free, captive to the obedience of Christ. For us to assault and throw down the fortresses of false religions, to assault and throw down fortresses of world religions, immoral ideology, whether homosexual, transgender, or, or living together, um, such self-centered thinking, what, what weapon must we know? What, what weapon must we have? What is the right weapon to be able to attack all of this out there? There's only one weapon to destroy error. What is that weapon? It's truth. It's truth. It's the word of God. You look in the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, that lists all of the weapons. There's only one weapon that's offensive, and that's the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You know, as we take the sword and be aggressive, be offensive. You know, I look back over my life, if I can, just by God's grace, take a, a, a brief journey with you. And I look back how the word of God 
Um, I just, I didn't know things. God, God's word knows everything. But to take a spear and put it in the back of people, that's really what that word means. Captive. Stick a spear and now you're marching them forward. They're taking them out of satanic ideology, philosophies, false religions, and their false thinking and point them towards God. Bring them into submission, to obedience to Christ. You know, I think back over, over a lifetime and all of us, I'm sure many of you could share the same thing. But I think back when I first got involved with Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. And there we're marching. I'm sitting in this living room. And there are three couples in their three-piece suits. I thought it was just going to be a casual meeting. I'm dressed down. My friend's dressed down. And they're all set up with their boards. What the Trinity believes. Man, I like, I, yeah, I'm in seminary. But I didn't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. But that was the beginning of what would become, by God's grace, a lifetime of, of conversations. But with... Um, they, they, they presented a lot of arguments that I think they might have spanked us that first time. But that, first, that next week I went back. Mr. Nelson wasn't home. I left him a letter. And I said something in the letter to, to him that would begin a journey for Mr. Nelson, which I'll get to in a moment. But I said, you know, Mr. Nelson, if you're right, and I know you're not, I'm going to spend forever um, with God according to what you told me. But if I'm right, and I put in parentheses, and I know I am, you're going to spend forever separated from God in a place called Lake of Fire, which is pretty scary. You weigh where you, which one you want to. And so now jump forward. Um, a year later, I'm running a basketball program at Parsippany, and the two high schools are bringing their teams. We have about 60 guys showing up in our gym running full court two um, sideways. And we have halftime devotions. Dave Nelson starts to show up. He's a college student of the, the, uh, the Nelson family, and he's listening to devotions every week as I'm just sharing a 10-minute devotion with all of these players. And he says, Dave, can, can I meet with you? So I start meeting with this kid, this Jehovah Witness, for months, and um, he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He um, eventually baptizes him, joins our church. Um, I then move out to Long Island, and as I'm moving, he says, I just want to tell you, you know, my dad is really searching the scriptures. And you know how you drove home and, and you talked later about how um, John 1, 1, John 8, 58, the Greek supports your theology. He's studying Greek to see if that's true. So now jump forward a year later. Dave says, I want you to fly out to Minnesota, be in our wedding and, and um, so forth. And he says, by the way, um, my dad's accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. I said, oh, I don't believe it. So I get out to Minnesota and there's Mr. Nelson in his Lincoln Continental that he rented. That's just the way he was. Um, and he calls me over and he says, hey, Dave. And he sticks out his hand and the car window, he holds tight, car window goes up. And now I'm like, he's sitting in the driver's seat. What are you doing? And he says, now do you believe that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior? But you see, it's just, just God's word just constantly going against this false thinking, false teaching. Um, Ted and Tony Wallen showed up at our church. And um, they were Lutherans. Um, didn't know them. They came to our VBS and really didn't know him that well. But he says, Pastor, you need to talk to my wife. She's getting involved in all of this crazy stuff called Jehovah Witnesses. He didn't know that I had, a, had an interest in, in that stuff. Uh, I said, sure, let's, let's go. Well, so I go to their home. We have Bible studies two evenings, a couple hours each evening. She is just so confused. She says, I just can't. She, my friend always says this. I wish you could talk to my friend. I said, well, 
Let's do it. Set up a meeting. Let's have a meeting right here in your home. Bring their JWs, and you listen, and we'll go back and forth, and you determine. And so we had a two-hour meeting, and um, I set up, okay, we're just going to be courteous to one another. We're not going to cut each other off. You talk when you're done. I'll address, and we'll go back. So we went back and forth, and um, at the end of the two-hour discussion, Tony turns to her friend and says, I don't want to study more with Jehovah's Witnesses. You're wrong. They left, and... Um, the next week, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or um, Rich Sheffield, a Mormon, um, Jewish Mormon. <laughs> Go figure. Um, anyway, how he came to know Christ as his Savior. Or Jeff Katz, playing tennis with Jeff Katz, um, getting to know my Jewish friend. And uh, eventually I said to him, hey, Jeff, can we, um, can we study the Hebrew Scriptures to see who is the Messiah from, from the Hebrew Scriptures? Of course, I mean the Old Testament. He said, yeah. So I went up to his home in Northport well, every week. Boom, boom. And I, and I promised him I would say nothing about Jesus. So about the fourth, fifth week in, he says, man, that sounds like Jesus. I said, hey, we're not talking about him. <laughs> uh, but just this one Sunday, uh, this one um, week, I, I um, pulled up and I was listening to Steve Green. I beheld his glory. I stopped the, the cassette, the tape. Yeah, that, it's that old. And I go into his home. Boom, 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 boom. The word of God, boom. Bending knee. Uh, just accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Got back out of the car and the tears just pouring out. I beheld his glory. Oh, you know, the stories just go on and on. As You know, God with, with Muslims or, or um, the Shepkis and their Catholic, you know, Catholicism. Or, or I think of the couple um, in Michigan. Led them to the Lord and... and um, they were living together. Um, just started coming to our church, living together, and right in the beginning, said, hey, you just show them for Thessalonians 4, the word of God, boom, you know what they need to do. And with tears, she turned to, to her fiance, we need to stop. We need to stop living together. So they did, and eventually um, they were married. Um, and tell you stories of parents just making wrong choices and the word of God. What is the point? Bringing every thought captive to the word of God. God calls us to know the word, to be equipped so that we can be defenders of the word. So as we take it out to, a, to a anti-biblical satanic ideologies and philosophies and humanistic thinking that pushes God out, how we just keep pushing the word and being able to be soldiers competent to equip. You know, Saul was, was a prisoner of the evil one. Um, he lived his whole life until he met the light on that road to Damascus. It changed everything. In fact, his words were immediately, what shall I do, Lord? The rebellion of a sinful heart, proud heart was ended. The walls of his fortress came crashing down in ruins as he bowed his knee to Jesus Christ. You know, he had his heart conquered by the divine one. And his response was, what shall I do? You know, throughout the ages... Paul tells, or John tells us in Revelation, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages have had their strongholds torn down and they bow their knee, the knee to Jesus Christ. They, we want to attack false doctrine. We want to be equipped in how we can know how to handle the word of God more effectively, how we can handle it and share it with people and teaching because we're in a spiritual battle and we want to be used of God to bring every thought captive to Christ, whatever their thinking may be. Just know the word. We don't have to know what everyone else believes. We just need to know the word. Do you desire to be 
an effective soldier for God? Do you desire to, to be used mightily in his army? Do you yearn for God to use you to see lives that are changed? Do you pray that God would, would use you to deal crippling blows to the enemy because you're a witness in your neighborhood and people are coming to know Christ because you, you, you're, you're praying over souls and God is blessing your heart desire. Learn the scriptures. Learn the word of God. Meditate on them. Memorize them. May this be a banner year beginning the rest of our lives. Even as we talked about prayer patterns, may it be something that we set up to pray more, but may it become a pattern in our lives. So may we get into the word of God. We need to have a regular devotional basis where we're going deep and we're really seeking to apply the word of God. But I plead with you, come out Sunday nights too. As we go deeper, we try to take these doctrines and make it interactive, make it a time of learning so that we could become greater defenders. If we have been saved more than a couple months, um, we ought to be witnesses and competent, become more and more competent soldiers for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're in a great battle. And God is worthy of us to be engaged in all that we can know to fight that battle for his glory. Let's bow in prayer. God, we, we want to be used of you to destroy strongholds. We want to be used of you to see fortresses that are built against the truth, torn down. God is graciously, the Spirit of God leads us and guides us in the words that we say and use and to see the word of God impact the heart, keep chipping away until eventually they see themselves as dead spiritually and you have removed their blindness and their unbended knee crying out to you and accepting you as their Savior. Or God, to be used in the lives of of our fellow believers in one another's lives of maybe a brother or a sister that's, that's wandering from the truth and how God, we humbly, not because we're any better, but we know the word of God and we desire to live by it, can bring such truth into their life and encourage them in the right path. God, we thank you for your word. May we come to know it better and be used of you for eternal impact for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.